Today, though, friends, we continue our summer series that I'm calling Grown-Up Vacation Bible School, where each week we're exploring a familiar childhood story of the Bible and try to go a little deeper into the story to come away with maybe a grown-up insight into what the story means. Last week, we explored the story of Noah's Ark to find that it's really a story about God and the transformation of the heart and mind of God. In how, uh, uh, and really in how our God interacts with creation. Today we move a little deeper into the story of Genesis and uh, into the story of Abraham and Sarah. Our first lesson told the story of the establishment of the covenant, where God promises Abram and uh, Sarai that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. The story goes on and God makes his promise a couple more times, even changes their names as a sign of this covenant, from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah, which in Hebrew means father of many and mother of nations, respectively. But you see, Abraham and Sarah were old, a little too old to be having children, so they went on with their lives, not sure what to make of these promises and what they might mean. Our second lesson is where they see this promise become clearer, as three mysterious visitors approach Abraham and Sarah's camp and seek their own hospitality. Again, like last week, we're going to be jumping around uh, in the story, so I invite you to find your pew Bibles and open them up, uh, and, and we're beginning with Genesis 18. Um, uh, so, uh, as, as always, friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's Word together from the 18th chapter of Genesis, beginning with the first verse. And keep those Bibles out, because we'll be reading a few different sections. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had prepared it and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Let's stop here for a moment. From the beginning of time, it seems that etiquette demands that you bring out your best when entertaining visitors and guests. From buying the fancier cheese or cuts of meat at the grocery store, to dusting off the china and silverware, when people come into our homes, we seek to put our best foot forward as a sign of welcome and hospitality. This is certainly so in the Bible. And in this snippet, we see a beautiful scene of ancient Near East hospitality. Late Old Testament scholar Sib Towner notes here that the three visitors receive exactly what would be expected from a Bedouin sheikh, or in other words, an old desert nomad. They're allowed to wash up, take a rest, and are offered the best food that Abraham and Sarah could possibly provide, 
choice bread. Think when you go for a, a splurge for special bread at Great Harvest or Red Truck. A calf, uh, very expensive and, and hard to come by, as well as milk and yogurt, which were considered expensive delicacies. This is really a beautiful image of hospitality to strangers, but there's nothing unusual about the hospitality for the day and time. What's unusual is that the hospitality is given to God, the Lord, in the form of these three mysterious visitors. This isn't really a story about hospitality, but rather it's a story of God coming near. In many ways, you could say it's a precursor to the meals Jesus would have with people in the Gospels, particularly Zacchaeus, who we'll cover later in this series, where God self shows up, invites himself over for supper to receive hospitality from a person. A beautiful image indeed of God coming near. While still cloaked in mystery and wonder, the story is also one of the clearest images of the Trinity in the Old Testament, if not in all of Scripture. In fact, one of the most famous religious icons was created from this story in the 15th century by the Russian artist Rublev. And the title of the icon, The Trinity. Catholic priest Richard Rohr recently used this icon and story to frame a whole book he wrote about the Trinity. Because here in the story, we see the fullness of God's presence come near to Abraham and Sarah to share this good news that in their old age, this child of destiny will soon arrive. In true Trinitarian form, we learn next to nothing about these three mysterious divine guests. And we're left wanting more. So let's finish the story, continuing on at verse 9. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you. In due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. Let's stop here. Let's talk about laughter for a minute. Laughter seems to do a lot of things for us. And it even seems that laughter is good for us. A number of folks argue so. It can relieve stress, uh, as in the commonly used phrase, we could all just use a good laugh. But why we laugh is a different story. There is, of course, joyful laughter, the the kind of laughter with friends or uh, laughter from our favorite television shows, comedy. But we also laugh when we think something is absurd or simply ridiculous. When we have a level of skepticism, we tend to laugh. Or there is even fearful laughter, laughing because we don't really know what else to do. In our lesson today, 
we see this whole spectrum of laughter, and it all occurs with one character, Sarah. And you could say she's a person in the Bible who could really use a good laugh. While Abraham is whining and dining the three divine guests, Sarah is hiding in the background, listening in on their conversation. They ask about Sarah. Now you can imagine she gets even more interested. They tell Abraham how they would return this time next year, and this time around she'll have a son. So far, this promise of children has been vague, but now it's clear-cut. She will have a son by this time next year. Since she and Abraham are well past the age of having children, Sarah laughs to herself. She laughs out of disbelief. She laughs at the thought of such an absurdity. But her hope is still there, even if it's buried under layers and layers of despair. As she says to herself, can I really have this joy? Can I really have this pleasure? Even though she laughed to herself behind the tent, God calls out Sarah, asking Abraham why she laughed, saying, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? In other words, is anything beyond the realm of possibility for God? Sarah now sheepishly steps out and fearfully defends herself, saying, she didn't laugh. But God replies, oh yes, you did. I was bothered a little this week when reading a commentator who believed that here God is chastising Sarah, because I don't see that at all. Calling her out, sure, but here I think we see a beautiful patience of God, inviting both Sarah and Abraham to see the abundance of possibilities with God. The Lord and these three visitors invites them into a relationship of faith. A faith that sees beyond the scope of what the world sees as possible, and into a new reality of what is only possible with God. Friends, let's jump ahead to chapter 21, beginning with the first verse, to see the conclusion of the story and of God fulfilling his promise. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. God gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. The main story here, friends, is God fulfilling God's own promise. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. As promised, Sarah gave birth to a son, and they named him Isaac, which in Hebrew quite literally means laughter. Sarah's laughter of skepticism is transformed into a laughter of joy and wonder. Here we see this beautiful image of God bringing laughter and joy, where only before existed hopelessness and doubt. 
This is a powerful witness that we trust in a God who can take our nervous, fearful, even skeptical laughter and turn it into a laughter of joy and pleasure. This laughter allows Sarah and Abraham to enter into this journey of faith with God, a faith that dares to see beyond our own reality or our world's reality and attempts to see God's reality. Sarah laughs at the idea of having a child at her age, and after God's promise, she has a child and names that child Laughter, Isaac. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything beyond the realm of possibility for God? Later in Scripture, when we get to the Gospels, these are questions that Jesus himself will answer, saying, quote, nothing is impossible for God. Although this is a beautiful image, there is a danger here, though, friends. A danger that would posit that since we believe in a God in whom anything is possible, that as long as we're faithful, nothing bad will ever happen to us. Or even more so, that we'll be blessed with whatever we ask of God in our lives. This, in essence, is the message of the prosperity gospel. It's the message that a a certain joker preacher you may have seen in news reports uh, the past couple of weeks back is part of. Uh, The guy who asked his followers to help him purchase a $54 million jet, which would be his fifth jet, so he could preach this misleading and quite problematic gospel to more people all over the world. But friends, this is a far cry from the promise God makes with Abraham. Not everything will be sunny and happy for Abraham and Sarah or for their descendants going forward. Next week, we'll explore the story of Joseph, Abraham's grandson, and of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. The following week, we'll dive into the story of Exodus, a story that begins with Abraham's own descendants enslaved in Egypt. The promise of God, this covenant with Abraham, is not a blank check for anything you want. Nor is it for immunity to the pains and difficulties of life. Rather, it's a promise that no matter what, God will be your God and you will be God's people. We trust in a God who in Christ takes on the depths of human pain and suffering on the cross. We trust in a God who promises through the psalmist that though weeping may last through the night, joy, laughter will come in the morning. This promise of God is as sure when we're at uh, this promise of God is just as sure for us when we're at the mountaintops and the valleys of uh, the dark valleys of our lives alike. This promise of God means that we're not alone, that we belong to God, that we are beloved children of God no matter what. Friends in Christ, the story of Abraham and Sarah shows us that we trust in a God who brings us to laughter and joy. Sarah laughs and invites us to laugh with her, sharing in this joy of what is only possible with God. This laughter draws us into relationship and into a deep faith, knowing that we trust in a God who promises to be with us no matter what. So may we go and laugh with Sarah. May we go and laugh with Sarah that our joy and hope and faith may spread to the people and communities in our world and in our midst who need a good laugh. That it may spread to those who need this comfort of knowing that they are claimed and loved 
as a child of God. May it be so.